0: Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But
1: remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We have never done this before. And uh, we have my very good friend, a very good friend of ours. I think we've been friends for like 20 years. This is Friar Tuck. Actually, no, it's not. It's <laughs> Father Ryan Cook. And we, uh, if you don't know Ryan, let's give him a hand. I don't know if you can hear them clapping, but they're clapping. And um, <laughs> Ryan Cook, we have probably known each other about 20 years. Do you think? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, maybe more.
1: Maybe more. I actually taught Ryan in Bible school, so now he's way smarter than I am. <laughs> um, as you can see, he has a very special collar on, and um, Ryan, is he is an Anglican priest. He has been in several different locations over the last several years. Um, most recently, he is in Vancouver working for an organization called UGM, Union Gospel Mission. Did I get it right?
0: I did very,
1: yeah. okay, um, in Vancouver, and working specifically with a lot of um, a lot of the poor, the marginalized in sp- the downtown east side of Vancouver, and he is overseeing the the housing for that group of people along with he does some chaplain work with the ministry there, and so I am excited because we 're going to hear from him in just a bit, but we 're actually launching a new series called Disruptive Disciples, as you saw in the intro, disruptive in a good way, okay? This is not like, let's protest for our rights. So just in case you're watching this later, thinking we're gonna be stupid, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about being disruptive in a good way, but sometimes it's kind of weird. But in a good, positive way, it's disruptive, as in groundbreaking and in something that might be unfamiliar or just different. And um, but this is what the series is: disruptive disciples, how to live unstuck in a sticky world, how to live unstuck in a sticky world. And you know, here's the thing: if we're actually going to follow Jesus, we need to be ready to follow him anywhere, and into any kind of thing. And the, the f- interesting thing about Jesus, when you look at his story, when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the book of Acts, when you see these disciples that were had encountered Jesus and then got filled with his spirit and were carrying on the mission of Jesus, when, when you look at and you read through the book of Acts, they were required to follow him, Jesus, his spirit leading them into a lot of settings that were a little bit crazy, into hard stuff, into tough stuff, into, and I was doing some studying on this, almost every single chapter of the book of Acts, except for four, that's four out of 28 chapters, all 24 chapters have multiple descriptions of words like prison, arrest, beating, persecution, mockery, uh, all stoned, not as in marijuana stone, but stoned with large stones, um, um, I, a lot of others, whipped the work. So, hard stuff, and a lot of hard stuff. But, you know, following Jesus is this invitation, and you see this with Jesus on life, of inviting people to follow him, to see things differently to think differently. And, you know, as the disciples, if you look at them, it would have really been easy for the disciples to follow Jesus, and I think even the same, for us to get stuck in what was. Stuck in the way God used to do things. Stuck in the way God is, you know, he used to speak. Stuck in the way God used to move. It's even, it would have been easy for them to get stuck in fear. Stuck in worry, stuck in anger, stuck in anxiety, stuck in doubt, a lot of them actually struggle with doubt. And you know, I think as, as current and modern day followers of Jesus, especially with this time and space that we're in right now, it's really, I think it could be easy for us to get the same, get stuck. We could get stuck in what's going on in the climate and the culture of the world around us. We could get stuck in the cancel culture. We could get stuck in the unknown. We could get stuck in fear, stuck in anxiety, stuck in anger, stuck in, you know, isolation and all of these things. And so we're going to talk about one of the biggest things that, this is what I find is so interesting, this is why we have Ryan today because he's much more of an expert on this. One of the biggest things that a lot of people got stuck on in Jesus' day was, believe it or not, his approach to food and meals. it caused a lot of problems. People got stuck, in fact, at one point in time, a huge portion of his followers left him because he was talking about eating in a certain way, and they didn't like that. So, to start our series on disruptive disciples, we're talking about the power of the table. We're gonna have communion at the end of the service, so if you haven't gotten one of those little, sorry, they're really bad tasting juice, little things, the juice and bread shot. Make sure we'll get you one of those. So anyway, the reason I invited Ryan here today to talk about this subject of the table is because it's actually been a very interesting part of his journey, not only as a priest because it's a very different environment than what he was raised in, but also just some powerful insights. In fact, Ryan, I know conversations you and I have. Ryan is my go-to guy when I have these because he's got like his masters in theology or maybe even lot more things in theology than what I have. So when I have questions, I'm like, hey, what about this? And, um, but Ryan, can you just, why don't you just share a bit of your experience around this topic of the table, um, both professionally, but also personally, and how you kind of stumbled into this whole thing of hospitality and food together?
0: Yeah, I was pondering this this week, and I think the the journey for me began by reading a book about in about 2005-2006, written by a guy named George Hunter, and he was talking about the way that uh, the Celtic Church under Saint Patrick did um, ministry, and they they saw like 70% of of um, the Irish come to faith uh, in about 30 years. Wow. Um, and one of, their, one of their sort of principal modes of being was hospitality and radical hospitality. So they set up these little communities on the outside of the 300 kingdoms that were in Ireland at that time. And people were invited uh, to come and participate in life. And they would host um, strangers, you know, this is before the days of good hotel systems and <laughs> hospitality infrastructure. And they would host people and um, people could come in, they could worship with them, they could, um, they could eat with them. their Their lives were sustained by these little communities of people. So this is sort of where the the theology of I heard J.D. actually mention at the beginning of the service about you know belong before you believe. Um, the Celts believe this, and so we we were sort of inspired. Uh, you know, at some point in our life, we you know we thought we'd like to take a rip at this and see what happens. And we moved to Liverpool uh, in 2013. Uh, Liverpool in the UK and uh, moved into a somewhat rough neighbourhood in this big old house, big old vicarage, and it had nine bedrooms and so our family of five and uh, four other people moved into the, this big old house and decided that we wanted to try to find ways to offer hospitality to people, whether that was people coming to stay with us or just inviting people in for meals. And I mean the short the short story is that there's probably there was hundreds of people that came through our home over those four years. Um, we did see people come to faith, but not because we were trying to convince them of faith. It was just sort of they they watched what was happening and thought, huh, this would be an interesting thing to be part of."
1: That's so I can great.
0: mention a little bit more about that later, but.
1: I think that is so. I I really, I was over there. The house is amazing. And just seeing how they've done this thing, this open open kind of life and having people in. It was super cute. Cool. It actually was inspiring me and I, I can honestly say I know a lot of our conversations have actually adjusted my thinking about communion. For the first 12 years of my life I grew up in the Catholic Church and if you're part of the Catholic Church, a very formal communion um, is part of mass. And so I know it's a part of the Anglican faith as well. So Ryan, how like even in just your journey in becoming an Anglican priest because you know you were in a very different church environment being raised, but how did the whole dynamic of like the uh, like a weekly communion or lord's supper the eucharist different terms that it's used for how did that really impact your perspective and was there kind of like this transition from like that impact that understanding of communion in the lord's supper did that then impact your understanding of like table and doing life and having people around for meals
0: yeah i would say i would say the you know the dinner table at our home and the you know eucharistic table in the in the church um they they sort of fed into each other in my understanding uh but yeah i was sort of raised in a in a setting where you know we didn't use the word eucharist um it was i think we used the lord's supper um but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a, a central part of my Christian experience growing up. Um, but I <laughs> began to see that in the earliest church and historically through the church, there were two things that were really important in the gathering of God's people. One was um, the preaching of Jesus from the scriptures. And the other one was the experiencing of Jesus in wow. the wow. Eucharist. Wow. Um, so, you know, this phrase altar call, which you you, you might have heard this phrase before but in every sunday in the historical church people came to jesus they walked to the front and they received jesus in and through the eucharist and so i saw these two things the word and the table you know the preaching of the word and the table all these, these things were always there and i thought what the is that about and um through that understanding sort of i've come to the place where i believe that these two things are really critical um, they're, they're not just critical for the gathering on Sunday, but they're critical for the way that we shape our lives the rest of the week.
1: Yeah, I think that is so, and that I think is what is been, I mean, to be honest, it's something I'm trying to get a better understanding on, which means as a church... We want to have a better understanding of this as well. But I just, I think there's something, um, let's let's unpack this a little bit more. The whole idea of the table, like our table being more than just an element of hospitality. This is something, even in my own studying, that it's been like, oh, maybe there's more to this because there's actually maybe a spiritual component, and I'm talking about a spiritual component in terms of when I'm talking about the table, like, having our communion together, I think I've understood the spiritual component of that, but I'm wondering if there's a spiritual component even to our, I'll call like table time, as we have, we're sharing a meal together around Jesus. I think that's an important element, but what stood out to me is when I was studying, okay, this is f- fun fact, did you guys know the word eat is found more times in scripture than the word love? I'm serious. Eat and all the very. Because I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some looking because we put a lot of priority on love as a very important principle in following Jesus. Yes, we can agree. But what stood out to me was like eating. And this wasn't just like random eating, but all you food people, all you foodies. But anyway, I just thought that. But, but also, something else that occurred to me the first meal in Scripture and in creation. The first meal brought death. Mm-hmm. Adam, Eve, eating. Measly snack. But if we fast forward to the end of the scripture story, it's all around a feast. And in between, there's a lot of feasting and stuff. So that got me really excited. Okay, so talk, let's talk about this. Is there a connection between like, or what kind of connection do you see between connecting the Lord's Supper to the dinner table or that table time like is table like you mentioned the word hospitality now is that is hospitality Mm -hmm. only for extroverts and people who like to have people over like what about introverts who like i don't like to eat them with people go for it i asked you a lot of questions yeah
0: (laughs) no we introverts are not allowed to be a part of this so um (laughs) right from the beginning this is only for extroverts but
1: eat by yourself no
0: i think um (laughs) I think the I think as sort of like modern people, we've sort of lost um, the understanding of the the power of a meal together. You know, in the in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the meal was was used for all kinds of things. So, like, if you had a fight with your neighbor over like the boundary lines of your land, um, and you you came to the place where you you know you agreed now on where those boundary lines were. You you wouldn't sign a contract you know put your put your name on a line and get a lawyer to witness it what you'd do is you'd sit down and you'd have a meal with them because to have a meal was to like was to make a covenant was to enter into a deeper way of being with each other and so i don't think i don't think that's the way that we think about meals today i think we understand meals as you know purely functional so it's like well i got to eat so i should eat or but meals are sacred activities. And so, so inviting people into your space, you know, your home, it's kind of nice that I'm in my home today. I'm like um, doing this, but you're inviting people into your space. You're sharing things with them that you worked hard for. And these experiences are sacred. They're, they're holy experiences. You're meeting with other people made in God's image. Wow. Um, you're letting them into your personal space. You're doing the. You're reaching your hand into the same pot to sustain your lives. Wow. Um, so yeah, I don't think we really understand the the sort of potency of meals and the and this and the spiritual aspect of what a meal does. When you eat with people all the time, uh, that's where the the sort of where, where you're sort of opened up to understanding them more deeply as a person, as a human being. You hear stories. You. Yeah. Um, you're just sort of let into the deeper things of life. And so to have a, so in church, I think we need both. We need, we need the Eucharistic table. We need to gather on Sundays as a large community and we need to, we need to be eating around the table together to see what the spirit might do in sacred moments as we sort of linger and take hours to spend with each other.
1: I love that. Do you see? Do you even see? Like, how did? Like, how did? I mean, obviously, the new Paul was like a major player in the New Testament. I should say, player. He's a major character in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I mean, over and over, we see him like the Lord's Supper. We're referring to it, you know, in different places. Like, what do you think was actually his perspective? Like, was it more like a meal? Was it more around like this formal? Like, I mean, typically when we do the Lord's Supper communion, it's a lot of times it's more of a a somber, more of Moment. Like, what do you think? What do you think it would have been like?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there were two things that were pretty common in, the, in the, uh, the early church. One was, and there were two meals. One was called the agape meal, and then the other one was commonly referred to as as the Eucharist. And the agape meal, which um, in the earliest church was called the love feast, and that <laughs> started all sorts of interesting rumors. Um, uh, Christians were accused of all sorts of things, you can imagine. <laughs> Um, but, the, but the agape meal was sort of like an open gathering where people, people all sorts of people could come and gather, people who were inquiring about the Christian faith, people who wanted to know more. And then the, the Eucharistic meal was sort of where the, the church moved into a more formal worship setting and participated in that. And so I think both are kind of needed. Um, one of the things I'll just mention about Paul that re- I think is really important is that Paul saw the eucharistic meal or the lord's supper is sort of the ultimate uh, unifying act of the church and so oh, wow. there's a couple of points you know in paul's letters where he gets a little bit frustrated with people yeah. um he says some really strong things one of the what is in, in corinthians where um, the corinthians were separating essentially the rich and the poor around the eucharistic table and paul basically says hey you're missing the whole plot and you wow. start separating people that, um, that Christ has called together and you're doing the meal in different ways and the rich and the poor can no longer gather together around Christ's table, uh, you, you're, you're really missing it because this Eucharistic oh, wow. table is supposed to bring um, people of, of difference together. So if you confess Christ. Um, you need to be welcomed to the table because you don't own the table. The table belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to city life. It doesn't belong to the Anglican Church. It doesn't belong to the Roman Catholic Church. It belongs to Christ. He's the welcomer. He's the host. And so don't you dare tell people that he invites that they can't come to the table.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I don't know if you can hear everybody cheering. You're getting a lot of amens, a lot of yeah, a lot of clap. Everybody's like, yeah, we're with you. I don't know if any of that's coming through. That is just so powerful. I can't hear, but. You can't. Okay. Anyway, I just, I think what stood out to me is that just how, you know, and this was something even earlier, earlier this summer, it was this thought how creation was in creation was broken involving a measly snack, but creation restored involves a banquet meal. And there's something powerful about us eating together that it's, and I think it's not just the surface thing, but let's just talk practical for a moment. Okay, do you have any suggestions? On how to bring more intentionality into our meals, like if if these meals together, if the the Lord's supper, if this is something that is, it, you know, eating, having people over, or we're you know out in the park or we're eating together, like what would you recommend? Like, is it like for there to be? I guess what I'm asking, if there's if there really is a spiritual component that something that could touch our soul, like I guess what stood out to me was like, what if something as simple as table time or meal together could help us get or live unstuck in life? Like what if that mm-hmm. could actually do it? So how, like, how do you be intentional? Like does this mean like you only do spiritual things like at the table, like you gotta pray, you gotta read scripture, you gotta talk about Jesus the whole time or got any tips on that? Mm-hmm. Like how could somebody who's like, oh, I really believe this, but I also find it awkward. Like, I don't know how to bring intentionality in with my friends. We just talk about hockey and COVID all day. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I think, I mean, I think the first thing to, to consider in, in any spiritual practice is that a spiritual practice isn't something you're doing to other people. A, a spiritual practice is, something that um, you're trying to participate in what God is already doing. So oh, the wow, first, so the first thing that you're trying to do is say, Lord, what what might you be doing in the lives of the people who sit around my table, whether they're people of faith or not faith, wow. but what is God already doing and I how do I that. participate in that? Oh, and so it, the intentionality piece is, um, I think it's good to have like a framework for the way that we eat meals, say as Christians. And so you know, in our home, when we were, we were having uh, 10 people over, there was 50 people over, you know, we prayed at the beginning of the meal. And I always thank God for the food and for the friends that he brought around the table. And we always closed our our Monday evening dinners with um, some form of prayer. And so, cool. um, and sometimes we'd actually put that to the side, if I knew that there was a, you know, a bunch of people sitting around our table that, um, this was going to be just so strange to them um, and uncomfortable, I sometimes just put it to the side and and just see if God might do something else in that setting. But I think it is good to be intentional. Um, it's, it, and we shouldn't, it's, we're not doing something to people. It's, you know, we're inviting people into a space right. where God is already doing something. It's like, oh, let's thank God for what he's doing around our table today wow. and w- w- welcome people. And um, so I think that's, that's something to remember. And I think it's also important, you know, for us who um, gr- grew up in traditions, and, and this, is, this isn't a bad thing, but grew up in traditions where um, the Lord's Supper wasn't necessarily, you know, a real serious part of the way that we grew up. I think it's important to just sort of stop, pause, and say, okay, why has this thing been so important throughout the history of the church? And how can I, how can you even this morning step yeah. back and say, God, what are you trying to do in and through me through this supper and through us as a community? Yeah. How are you trying to draw us together? So intentionally asking questions about the Lord's Supper is a, probably a good place to start.
1: I love that. I just, when you were, you said something I wish, oh, it was so good. I wanted to repeat it. This is terrible. I've got weird brain happening right now. No. It was just so good. You were talking about practical. Oh, I know what it was. When it came to, like, the whole hospitality, what was one of the biggest, what would you say, or even one or two, the greatest, like, like mental roadblocks, or were there any mental roadblocks you needed to get through in your own mind when it came to, okay, we want to really practice this meal thing together with others on a more intentional and regular basis? Like, was there anything Mm -hmm. in your own thinking that was just, I had to push through that?
0: Yeah, really practically, I think we've been, we're sort of set up as a culture to um to open our homes when everything is perfect you know so we we got to make sure everything is cleaned properly we got to make sure you know the meal is like over the top and so we what i've done is i've really bought into this this idea of scruffy hospitality and the thing that i've had to get over in my own head is that um that yeah, okay, my, my home might not be perfect. It might be a little bit scruffy. I might not have the cash to like put on some lavish feast. Uh, but that's more about me. You know, that's more about my that's own so insecurities good. and me protecting yeah. my image than it is about, you know, something that other people really, really care about. So I think one of the practical things you have to get over if you're going to live a life of radical hospitality and openness to others is that life is scruffy. And it's that. probably better to have people in your space, have people in your home, cultivate those relationships um, than it is to try to, you know, present yourself in such a way that is just, it's really just a facade. I mean, who, yeah. who, you know, everybody's house gets messy. Our, lawn, we all have laundry that isn't done, and is you know, <laughs> there's a sock in the wherever, and so I would just get over that kind of stuff. Um, let's 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 be a little bit more a little bit more open with each other. Don't try to protect the mess as much. It's a good spiritual principle too, I think.
1: I love that. Don't try to protect the mess as much. So good. Okay, as we're, gonna, as we're starting to wrap things up, there is just, I'm sure you've got tons of stories about really significant things that God, I mean, showed you. When you have the people in your house, you're going to hear stories. There's going to be some cool things. Could you share like one or whatever that's really impacted you and that really made, whether it changed your perspective on things or just God really spoke to you through it?
0: Yeah, i um, I probably want to tell uh, a story about uh, two friends who I met one I met one girl this one girl in a coffee shop in the city centre of Liverpool and she was ordering her coffee and I could hear she had an American accent (laughs) and so um, and then then when I ordered my coffee she heard that my accent was a little bit um, not not so British it definitely wasn't Scouse and so uh, her and her friend started talking to me and I found out she had just come from uh, she just come from from another place in Europe, and she had just moved to Liverpool. She didn't know anybody, and I said, "Oh man, you should come to our house for dinner," um, like this is my practice anyway. So we invited her, them to our house, and they they did come. Anyways, long story short, after like six months of coming um, to our house for dinner, um, she came in one Sunday afternoon. She said, "Hey Ryan, I think." I think i've become a christian and i said oh what do you mean by that um because i hadn't you know let her in some sort of four spiritual laws thing or she (laughs) she hadn't done alpha so i didn't know how she was even allowed to be a christian and so so we're sitting there chatting and and she said well i've just been sort of watching what you guys do and i've heard the conversation and i'm I'm learning about jesus and i think you know this is this is the way i want to live this is the this is this is it for me And so anyways, we she ended up being baptized and um, uh, all this kind of stuff. It was awesome. But she was a regular part of our community. But she also happened to be, you know, one of the top five viola players um, on the European continent. So she was there (laughs) playing for the Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra. And one one night we had a, a Christmas party. And in our at our Christmas party, there's all sorts of folks that would come. So one one of the fellas that was a regular, um, I won't I won't give you his name. We'll keep that quiet. But let's just call him Gary. So Gary <laughs> Gary shows up, and and Gary is sort of um, he's got some you know he's got some challenges in learning, and he was a, an alcoholic from the time he was a teenager. He's about a, in his mid 60s. Um, he was missing most of his teeth. Um, and he was just—he was this kind of character. We loved him; like he was so fun. Um, this, this, the things that would come out of his mouth around the dinner table definitely kept us on our toes. But at this one Christmas party, uh, David wanted to—oh shoot—I said his name. Anyways, David wanted to—David um, wanted to show us uh, play the piano for us. And so he walks over to the piano and he starts playing these old British pub songs. You know and it's just really clunky but it's really clunky but it was so fun people start singing along anyways Gwen Gwen was my friend's name who was the viola player she grabs her viola this is all spontaneous and she starts playing the viola with David's like English pub songs and I remember sitting back um, sort of watching this go on there was three or four three or four songs they played together and I thought where in the world does this happen yeah you got this guy who's basically yes. you know the, the the local um the local alcoholic who's living somewhat rough on the streets and you've got a world-class viola player coming together wow. in this little Christian community and making a sound together wow. um they, they, they're they're It's like in my ears I could hear the sound of the way that the church is meant to be in the world. People of difference gathered together around the table, um, making this harmony, this this noise, this music that otherwise we would never hear. And so for me, that's a that was like a that's like an image or a symbol of what I hope for in the church, you know? What does it look like to gather around the table, whether it's the Eucharistic table or the dinner table in our homes? It's about people of difference, finding their unity in Christ, participating in this sacred meal and making a sound that we couldn't make separately.
1: Wow, that is so powerful. You know, I love that. And you know what, just what you were saying with the church is supposed to be. And you know what, church, that's actually one of the reasons why you saw earlier in church news where we talked about our monthly Sunday family supper, and that's what it's meant to be. It's, it's meant for us to come together. We're going to have long tables. We're going to get the long, long, long tables, like end-to-end tables out in our lobby and just sit and eat together. And there's something, I think, about looking across the table and having conversation not just with the same old besties but with people who you don't know or different. You might find we might be so different but we actually have commonality in ways that we didn't know before. And so you know what, next Sunday is the first one and every month. For you know, we'll give it. We'll try it for a few months and see how it goes. And you know, if you can't come for the whole, we put five to seven because it's a time that if you can only come for part of it, great. Show up for 20 minutes if you have to go, or if you show up late, come and bring something. We'll eat together. We'll put it all together. And we're really believing that it's you know, it's not just oh, it's a party time sign, but it's actually there's something significant that we really believe God is going to do. And you know, Ryan, just before we say goodbye, are there any final thoughts that you want to share or encourage people with? Do you want to give us a Father Blessing?
0: <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, whatever. If there's I've anything
1: been... else that you want to say or encourage, whatever.
0: Um, I, I think the one thing that I would say is um, we, we live in such a fast-paced culture. If at all possible, create in your life space to be able to linger with people. Yes. Take um, t- Take time. You know, we we, we realized the, the importance of relationships through this COVID time. Um, we've been separated from each other in all sorts of ways. Um, we, we, need to, we need to linger with each other. Be with real human people, not just on social media. Yeah. Linger, and sometimes yeah. it's awkward, especially if yeah. you're the host and you want to go to bed. But linger <laughs> with people.
1: I love that. I love it. Do you want to do the Father blessing? What's a blessing at the end of the I Mass? Can pray for you. What's that? Yeah, you can pray sure. for us. And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say goodbye to you. You're going to get wheeled off the stage. And then we're going to receive, we're going to have communion together. But go ahead.
0: Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. And may He give you peace all the days of your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Oh man, how powerful is that, Ryan? This was so fun. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc/nextstep or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.